Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge and I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You may have a seat. Amen. The expanses of his wisdom to the unfathomable depths of his mercy. We study God's nature in order to illuminate the contours of a God whose greatness eludes definition. May this exploration awaken a sense of reverence, humility, and wonder within your soul as we journey together into this boundless and eternal nature of God, encountering the one whose attributes are not just lofty ideals, but living truths that shape the very fabric of our reality. As we draw closer to the source of all existence, may we stand in awe of him who defies comparison, for there is none like him. Good morning. Good morning, Rise. It is so good to see you all this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Jordan. I'm the youth pastor here. And this morning we are continuing our series on understanding and discovering who God is and, and knowing that when we do, that we will find out that there is none like him. About two weeks ago now, my wife got, uh, had to go to jury duty. And for many of you, you might think this is an inconvenience or this is annoying. But for me, I, I personally was really excited. I wasn't even the one on jury duty. I was just excited to like take her to the court every day because I find the legalese, the, the, the different systems so fascinating. And, and maybe it's because how I was raised, you know, you have your heroes of legalese, of justice, you know, uh, uh, the national treasure, Judge Judy, right? She, she's incredible. Uh, she always makes the right call, probably. Um, and, uh, you know, you also have some great defenders of, of the innocent, like Matlock, you know? <laughs> Anybody? I, you're surprised I know it. I know. It's, it's old, okay. But I love watching Matlock. And of course, you know, the great defender of justice is Batman. Batman, right? <laughs> he he is, fights for justice, and you know it's in a little maybe questionable legally, but um, he still fights for justice. So I was all excited about this, and, and as my wife was going to her jury duty, she actually got put on a jury, so we had to go like all week, which it was really fun. Um, but I I chose one day to to kind of just see what this was about, see if it lived up to these heroes. And, and so I, I went to the front desk and I said, hey, I'd like to sit in an open. And she was like, okay, here's some numbers of courtrooms. And so I took that and I went to the first one. I had no clue what I was walking into and I plopped myself down and I remember she's just like going quietly. So I walk in and everybody's heads turn. Nobody was expecting me, and, and these, these lawyers were kind of eyeing me. One guy actually had like an eye patch. He had one eye, so he was really eyeing me. Um, <laughs> but 
I sat there, and you know, as government things do, they were running late, um, and so I sat there for a little bit, a little bit, and then eventually the, the proceedings started, and I found out pretty quickly that this was a uh, bail reduction hearing that I was sitting in, and, and so uh, this gentleman had, had done some crimes and needed to pay a bail to get released, and the state was arguing whether that's a good idea or a bad idea, and so these two sides were kind of going at it for about an hour, and you know, I sat through the whole thing, I found it very fascinating, it was like, TV, but free, you know? Um, but so I sat there and I walked away afterwards kind of dissatisfied, just kind of like, okay, I, the judge laid out on a decision, but I, I was just satisfied and I learned these things. One, being a judge is really hard. <laughs> You have to know all these legal things in your head. You gotta, you gotta know how to, what, what's appropriate in that moment to lay down the law. And you have to mediate between these two sides, one fighting for this side and one fighting for this side. And you have to, you have to figure out which one's right or, or how to compromise. And, and I walked away realizing another thing, that justice will never be true justice when it's handed down by humans alone. Justice will never be true justice when it's handed down by humans alone. But there is a perfect judge and executor of justice, one who by very definition and nature is just. It's God. God is just. Here's what that means. It means that God is perfectly righteous in his treatment of his creatures. He defends victims and brings vengeance upon oppressors. God isn't like us in our human judgment. His judgment is perfect. Here's what Deuteronomy 32, 4 says. He is the rock. His works are perfect. And all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. He's perfectly just. Everything he does, any judgment he lays down is morally acceptable. And, and it's correct. However... In order to fully understand this, I, I want to I talk through that we can't just focus on his justice. When, when we're looking at these attributes of God, if we get too microscopically focused, we, we miss out on how it actually all works together. And, and to illustrate this, I think of this story uh, or parable of these blind men and an elephant. And, and the story goes that this group of blind men approach this elephant and they all grab different parts and they're trying to figure out what it is. And, and one grabs the trunk and is like, oh, this is a snake, okay? Guys, this is, this is a snake. And another grabs the tusk and is like, no, 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 it's a spear. And, and another grabs the trunk and is like, no, guys, you're both wrong. This is a tree. And the last guy is at the end, and he's like, no, guys, this, this is a rope as he's grabbing the tail. And, and what this shows us and what this demonstrates is that, that when we have such a limited perspective or, or too zoomed in on one attribute of God, we miss actually what is happening, and we need to take a step back to see the full picture. Because if we don't, we'll get a warped or, or crooked view of our God. Because God's not just just. He's wholly just. He is loving and just. He is merciful and just. And, and we need to understand that the way that his justice interacts with and works with all these other attributes is not an accident. It is an intentional working where, where these components rely on one another. They work in tandem. And so as he executes justice, is not just a primary justice without these love, this mercy, this grace. Because justice without that is tyranny. 
And, and on the other side, his love is not without justice because that's just wishy-washy, doesn't handle evil, doesn't care. And so we need to, as we're, as we're diving into studying God's justice and talking about God's justice, we need to understand that it is intricately woven into his person. That he is a whole and, and his personality is harmonious with one another. That, that he is not justice for, just for the sake of being just, he is just and loving, and that makes his justice completely, radically different than ours. There is none like him that is just. He has a supernatural justice. And so, in God's judgment, despite our perception, his love and his mercy and all his other attributes are working at the same time. And once we understand this difference, we realize that we need that type of justice a wholly different justice, a, a supernatural justice in our broken world. And, and I don't have to tell you too much, but we know that this world is broken. I mean, I think of even this last weekend, we had the Super Bowl. It was an American holiday, right? We, we love to celebrate this. We love to have fun. Taylor Swift won, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, don't get me started about that. Kansas, uh, 49ers will get a second chance next year, hopefully, so. Um, but, but it's this big celebration, you know, everybody's celebrating, and, and later through the week, the celebration continued, and there was a, I don't know if you heard, but there was a parade that, that took place to celebrate Kansas City Chiefs. But right in the midst of the celebration, right in the midst of, of American, this big moment in American culture, there was another shooting, another injustice. And it ends up being the same story, the same narrative that we hear over and over and over again is, oh, another evil, another shooting, another, I mean, we all know the headlines. We see these evils, we grieve these evils, we walk through these evils. And in the deepest part of us, we know something has to be done in response to this broken world. And so we have made our laws, we've formed the, the courthouses and the places of judgment where we can hopefully lay down the law. And I know this is more nuanced, but, but oftentimes as human beings, since we are also broken and also evil in, in parts of our hearts, we have a problem. When we go to lay down justice, our deepest desire ends up being to get revenge. It, it follows the old maxim, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And I'm not going to speak for everybody here, but if I was in charge of our justice system, everybody would be blind and need dentures, okay? Because <laughs> my justice is primarily focused about getting revenge. If you do this to me, I'm going to do this to you. If you go over the speed limit, you got to pay this fine because that's about the same. Like, we're all about equal payment. And we like to think or, or label this as justice because it, it makes us feel comfortable. We, we feel like we're doing the right thing. And, and like I said, it is nuanced. Sometimes there is appropriate justice and, and consequences that need to be laid down for evil actions. But in the end, we, we usually just want revenge. To, to better illustrate this, I want to look at, at Jeremiah chapter 12. And this is a conversation that happened between the prophet Jeremiah and God. And, and if you don't know, uh, Jeremiah was 
the prophet. And what a prophet was is that God would give him a message to go and tell his people Israel, go and tell the nation. And, And Jeremiah, unfortunately, his message was, turn away from your evil gods or God is going to send you into exile and bring about all the other nations to destroy you. It's not a very popular message. Um, So he experienced a lot of uh, pushback, a lot of persecution. And and so he comes to the Lord in this moment. And and we'll zoom in on this honest and open conversation. Jeremiah uh, 12, verses 1 through 4, it says this. You are righteous. You are always righteous, Lord, when I bring a case before you. Yet I would speak with you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? You have planted them, and they have taken root. They grow and bear fruit. You are always on their lips, but far from their hearts. Yet you know me, Lord. You see me and test my thoughts about you. Drag them off like sheep to be butchered. Set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will the land lie parched and the grass in every field be withered? Because those who live in it are wicked. The animals and the birds have perished. Moreover, the people are saying, he will not see what happens to us. This is an honest conversation. Jeremiah, just like you, just like me, wants something to be done about the evil he sees going on. And he he has this like, Lord, I am doing your work. I am, I'm speaking the words you've given me, and I'm the one facing persecution, yet these wicked people out here, Lord, these other wicked people are, are just thriving. They have, they have so much crops. They have so much, they have everything in abundance, and Lord, they are wicked, yet, yet I know you're in control of justice. So why are they succeeding and I'm not? And we see also this desire for revenge <laughs> It's pretty brutal. Drag them off like sheep to be butchered. Yeah, hopefully you don't say that about your enemies, but that's pretty intense, right? He's like, no, I need, I, I want them to get it and get it now. They deserve that, so they should go do it right now. Lord, like, can you, can you work? Can you move? So Jeremiah feels the same way we do. He senses this evil, and, and we aren't the first to think of this solution of just taking revenge immediately, and we certainly won't be the last. And if it worked, though, don't you think that justice would be served and justice would be reigning right now? If, if revenge actually functioned the way we want it to, there would no, be no marches for peace. There would be no protests against injustice. And this is one of the biggest questions that skeptics, non-believers, maybe even believers have. How can God be so good and so loving, yet allow evil to run rampant in the world? If he is a just God, why doesn't he act like it? And that, I will say, is a good question. Here's how Eugene Peterson kind of summarizes this and talks about this. He says, we underestimate God and we overestimate evil. We don't see what God is doing and then conclude that he is doing nothing. We see everything that evil is doing and think it is in control of everyone. That's where Jeremiah was. That's where we often are. We forget about the goodness of God. We forget about him being actually in control. And we see the evil around us, and it can be overwhelming. We can be discouraged and lose heart. 
But with God, there is a different perspective on justice than just immediate revenge, get what you deserve. So God answers him later in Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 5. He answers him this. If you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? Or if you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? In the most loving way possible, God talks to Jeremiah and says, hey, you're, you're a human being. And let me say this, you're doing great work. You're out there proclaiming, you're out there facing persecution, and I'm proud of you, but guess what? You're getting tired. And if you get tired in this, there's more evil coming. There's more to do. And you can't do it. I am the one who is perfectly just. I am the one who will take care of this evil. So you have to trust me. He reminds Jeremiah of his humanity, but also gives him confidence that there will be a day when he will take care of all evil. He goes on to explain it at the end of this chapter, verses uh, 10 through 13. Many shepherds will ruin my vineyard and will trample down my field. They will turn my pleasant field into a desolate wasteland. It will be made a wasteland parched and desolate before me. The whole land will be laid waste because there is no one who cares. Over all the barren heights in the desert, destroyers will swarm. For the sword of the Lord will devour from one end of the land to the other. No one will be safe. They will sow wheat but reap thorns. They will wear themselves out but gain nothing. They will bear the shame of their harvest because of the Lord's fierce anger. He says, listen, Jeremiah, I have a timeline. <laughs> I have a plan and a purpose and I will execute my justice at the perfect time. See, God's justice isn't about revenge. It is about, it's an eternal judgment, an eternal justice that looks beyond and, and gives every opportunity for people to repent, for people to come back to their God, to find God and, and say, I'm done doing this on my own. I need someone, something. And, and, and he has this purpose and he won't ignore evil, but it will happen on his timing and in his way. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 26 talks about it like this. Then the end will come when he, who is Jesus, hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The end will come and God will execute his just and perfect judgment on the world, and all evil will be destroyed. Shortly after World War II, there was a set of trials that took place in a place called Nuremberg. They, they rounded up all these Nazi leaders and all these Nazi soldiers, and they began to work diligently uh, to legislate, to, to hand down just punishment. And this is actually a historic moment because this is the first time that we see different leaders from different nations 
bring about their judges and work as one unified group to execute judgment on these Nazi leaders for crimes against humanity. And this place right here is, is the Nuremberg Palace of Justice, which is just an awesome name. Um, but at this trial, they, they worked really hard to, to build these cases, and there was defense, but, but ultimately, judgment was served on many of these Nazi leaders. Uh, 12 of them hung. A, a lot of other of them got life sentences in prison. There was justice that was served that day. And I look at this story, and I, and I think about what's going to happen in the end. God is going to hold a Nuremberg trial for all the evils of the world. God is not going to let anyone get away. And, and what was crazy at these trials is that they began to legislate and they began to work so that, that they would set the groundwork so that this level of evil could never happen again. And in the end, there's going to be a new ruler, a new king. His name is Jesus, and he is going to make sure that this never happens again, that all evil will be taken care of once and for all, that it will be wiped away. And so we catch this glimpse of what that day will be like, that there will be perfect judgment and justice, and it will be even more perfect than the Nuremberg trials, Place down on evil, place down on evil doers, and he will bring his vengeance on them at that time and in that place. With that in mind, with that confidence, then we are able to move forward. We are able to not be worried about justice in our own lives in the sense where it holds us back from being obedient to God. Because we are the church. We are the, Paul reminds us, we're the body of Christ. So when we go and we interact with the world around us, we need to remember that this is not an us versus them scenario. That, that the world out there is not, that the people in the world out there is not intent on evil. But what, they have, what has happened is they've been lied to. They've been lied to by an enemy, Satan, intent on evil. And they, he has trapped them. He has chained them. Because they are broken and hurting and scared. And, and there is evil in each of our hearts, but we have to remember that we are made in the image of God, that, that human beings have worth. And that they've been taken captive by this evil. They've been taken captive by these deceptive thoughts. And, and what our work to do, what with God behind us, is to proclaim his reign and his rule and proclaim that he is the one that they should follow, that there is freedom when we follow after God. So we're invited and we're called to love them, to, to live at peace with them and, and to show them the same mercy and grace that we have received. And, and we're also called to bring about God's kingdom, which includes his justice. And here's what Romans 12, 19 through 21 says. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If your enemy is thirsty, give them something to drink. 
In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The call is to love our enemies, to, to feed those that wish evil upon us, to, to give them water. And, and this may sound a little strange, <laughs> might sound a little counterintuitive, But I love this verse right here. It says, in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do you know how hard it is to be mean to someone who's just relentlessly nice to you? It's really difficult. You're like, yeah, you're stupid. And they're like, hey, have a cookie. And you're like, what do I do now? What do I do? So we're to love our enemies. We're... And we're to leave the revenge and the ultimate laying down of the law to God and trusting that he will advocate for us. He will work on our behalf. And that on his timeline and in his way, he is going to bring about justice. It might feel unjust for us. It might feel difficult for us. But it becomes the question of do we trust? Do we trust? So we are called to distribute this justice because of how we have been treated, how we've been loved, and because of our God. There was this man, he was on his way to a conference, and he got, got, it got canceled, so he had to like turn around and head home. And he, he got stuck in an airport at a layover. And he was going to get some of the Lord's chicken at Chick-fil-A at the Atlanta airport, and just right next to it, outside, there was this man playing piano. And he was struck by the beauty of this piano and struck by, I would argue, the Holy Spirit to look at this man and see that his tip jar was empty. And you know what he did? He jumped on Instagram. He had a large following, apparently. Jumped on Instagram and said, hey, I have 40 minutes. I want to give this man a tip. Just look how hard he's playing. Look how beautifully he's playing. He's pouring everything he has into this. In 35 minutes, he raised $10,000 just from random people donating. And so he, he walks up to this gentleman playing the piano and he says, hey, I have a tip for you to take Venmo. <laughs> and he Venmoed him $10,000. And the guy playing the piano was overwhelmed because his days looked like this. In the morning, he'd wake up and he'd go to nine hours of dialysis. And then he would go to the airport to play piano for four hours. And then he'd go home and start all over again. Every day, there is an opportunity for you and me to look around at the world that we see and love radically. And, and what we see is that Joseph Fletcher puts it like this, justice is simply love distributed. So to distribute love is to do justice, and that is exactly what we are called to do. This man loved on this piano player not for any reason other than he liked his piano playing and he was a follower of Jesus. And so he distributed justice. And you know what's incredible about this? Is that piano man was also a believer and he was like, this money is from the Lord and I'm gonna pass it on. 
I'm gonna keep loving people. I'm gonna keep moving forward in this with love, distributing it to people who need it. Every day we have opportunities to work with God in providing justice through loving our neighbors, loving people around us, especially loving our enemies and loving those that wish to do evil on us. But, but why? <laughs> but why? I've kind of been dancing around it, but, but, but why? Why does God call us to be long-suffering in the face of evil? Why does God call us to be so radically loving? Let me put it like this. If we got all that we deserved from God based on our actions alone, and if he was truly just, we would all be ruined. We would all be up a creek because we are sinners. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what this means, Romans 6, 23, just the first part of it says, for the wages of sin is death. What do we get because of our sin? We, we get death. And each one of us has lied, has cheated, has stolen, has broken God's commandments, done evil. And unfortunately, there's no scorecard with God. It's not like, you know, you do this many bad deeds and this many good deeds and it weighs it. No, it's not how it works with the Lord. There's an either or. Either you are righteous and sinless and you get life or you are sinful and have done wrong and get death. And you may be like, well, that's pretty bleak and it is. What we do is we choose our own way and we separate ourselves from God. And, and this death isn't even just a physical death, it's an eternal separation from our Father, the, the true source of life, of love. But, but let me read the rest of this verse here. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. There is a hope there is a hope to be saved from our worthless and broken estate, to be saved and rescued from the penalty that we have incurred in our sin, to be saved from the death that we are headed towards. Our sin demands the consequence of death. Yet Jesus, who is fully God, fully man, walked this earth, lived a perfect life that you and I could not live, willingly took our place on the cross. He took our punishment on the cross. And in that moment on the cross, God's wrath and his justice was satisfied because he, he placed it on Jesus. All the sins of the entire world were placed on Jesus in that moment. And he died. He paid the penalty. Here's what Romans 3.25-26 said. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, a substitute in that moment, through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be both just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. 
God maintains his perfect, just nature, yet distributes the consequence of this sin upon Jesus. And he is our substitute. He is our sacrifice to make things right, atonement. And it's by the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. People like to put a lot of complications or like tasks that you have to do before receiving this gift, but it's a free gift. And all you have to do is believe it and receive it. You believe that Jesus died in your place and you receive forgiveness for eternity. And we are given, if we believe this, eternal life. And this isn't just go to heaven when you die, Sunday school, but it is life with God here and now. It is righteousness today. It is knowing that being justified is being wiped, uh, our sin being wiped away, the stain of our sin being cleansed. This is the gospel. Because Jesus didn't stay dead, he rose again three days later in power, defeating death, hell, and the enemy, and, and providing a way for you and I to be made right with our God to avoid that eternal judgment. And so when we stand there, we are gonna face judgment, but when we stand there in judgment, what we are going to say is, I plead Jesus. And in that moment, we will hear a not guilty verdict because Christ has taken our punishment on the cross. And so we are set free. We are set free. And this is why we are loved. Just like the piano man who realized that he had been given way too much just for himself, he needed to give it out. You and I have been given so much grace, so much love, so much mercy, that what our call to do, what we are called to do, is let it flow out. Let it overflow. Let Christ fill us up and let it overflow so that we can love those around us, so that we can proclaim the good news, so we can... We can feed our enemies. We can give them water to drink because we know that we too were there at one point and we met Jesus and he changed everything. I think Philip Yancey kind of summarizes what really well here. Love was compressed for all history in that lonely figure on the cross who said that he could call down angels at any moment on a rescue mission, but chose not to because of us. Out at Calvary, God accepted his own unbreakable terms of justice. God continues to be perfectly just, yet provides a way for us to receive his love, his mercy, his grace, and be made right with him. We have a just God who will defeat and overcome evil. That is something we can celebrate. Yet we also have his son who did not spare his own life so that we might be redeemed and brought into right relationship with our father, our loving God. And so we are called to be a light of love to those around us, to love even when we don't think that other people deserve it because we definitely didn't. What an amazing God we have. Truly, there is none like him. Let me pray for us, church. Dear Heavenly Father, you are so holy. You are so mighty.
God, we thank you that you are just, that you will take care of evil. So often our hearts are broken by injustice, God, but we are confident that you will make all things right. And Lord, I thank you for your son who saw us in our broken and worthless estate and our sin and yet loved us enough to provide a way for us to be made right with you, Jesus, that we would be made completely whole and, and righteous, God, and that your justice is still satisfied, that evil still will not reign. Lord, we need you. I, I pray for those who don't know you in this room this morning, Lord. Would you just draw near to them? Would you speak to their hearts? Tell them there's a way to be free. And Lord, for us who believe in you in this room, I just pray right now that we would be reminded of what a great gift we have received. And we would go out from this place and love those around us and help bring about your kingdom and your justice by loving each and every person we meet, God. We thank you for this morning. Time to reflect on your word, God. We love you.